I'm Lloyd Freeman, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer of Buchanan, Ingersoll and Rooney, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. Over 3 million Americans are living with a disability. Many of those conditions are very apparent to us. You'll see some individuals using a wheelchair, others may require the assistance of a service animal, but our everyday ableism does not always respect those who are living with invisible disabilities. Those that we cannot see are easily ascertained. These individuals and the diversity they bring to the workplace demand respect and are protected by laws such as the Americans with Disabilities Act. Today, I'm so happy to be joined by my good friend, Crystal West Edwards, a principal at Porzio Bromberg and Newman, where she specializes in elder and disability law. In fact, Crystal is a certified elder law attorney by the ABA accredited National Elder Law Foundation, and she'll help us to better understand invisible disabilities. Crystal, welcome. Thanks for having me, Lloyd. Of course. Crystal, you heard my examples above, and we all know the salient characteristics associated with a disability, those that we're familiar with, uh, wheelchairs, service animals, prosthetics, but invisible disabilities, this is an area that's not often discussed. What are some examples of invisible disabilities, just so that all of our listeners know exactly what we're talking about? I think the easiest for people to just kind of wrap their heads around would be like chronic pain you know, illnesses that people have that they live with that you can't visibly see, right? So it may be that, you know, the person suffers from a condition that makes it really hard to stand for a significant period of time or really difficult to sit in one location. And so we saw this, there was a trend in offices a couple of years ago, and I don't know if you guys experienced it at Buchanan, where people would have the treadmills, did you have those where they had like treadmills under their desk so that people could be constantly walking? Um, standing desks were a really popular thing for a while. They are well, still, yeah. In a prior role, I had the opportunity to speak with people about the requests that they were making, right? Yes, you would like to stand all day because you don't want to be um, you know, in a, in a sedentary position where you could gain five pounds. That's fabulous. But there are actually people who want to stand because it hurts for them to be sitting for a long period of time, or they need to maintain circulation of their legs in order to not have other issues later on in the day. And so these things manifest themselves even later when we talk about, you know, events for your employer and places that you would go with your friends. You know, I could invite a friend of mine, you know, who suffers from nerve, significant nerve pain. Unbeknownst to me, I could invite her to, you know, a cookout that's in somebody's backyard on, you know, their personal estate, right? And so what seems to just be a driveway to some is a huge task for another person who isn't walking with a cane, isn't walking with a wheelchair, but has these health conditions that do impact how they live day to day. I think it's important for us to make sure that even in the way that we frame this, I use the term ableist. And that's a bias essentially, because we're looking at this as in the way that the quote normal or typical person would really appreciate a standing desk because it's well-intentioned and it's an exercise and wellness initiative, but mm -hmm. it's not taking into account those other dimensions of diversity, those individuals who may have these conditions and disabilities. That's right. And so having a safe space to have these conversations is really important for people because no one wants to admit that there's something that makes them different, that requires different attention. And so having the opportunity to say to someone, 
you know, whatever it is that you need, let's sit down, let's talk about it. So you requested a standing desk. Why is that? It can really go a long way to just show compassion and willingness to kind of stand in someone else's shoes to be comfortable, but also to be productive in the workplace, productive in the family environment, um, whatever the circumstance. So important in having those conversations is your word choice. And our society, we are guilty of it. We use ableist language often. Words and phrases that, again, we're just not thinking about them, but they could be really, really offensive to individuals who have these conditions. I'm talking about words and phrases like calling someone crazy, or that idea you have is crazy, uh, or that person must be off their meds. Um, or you even think about microaggressions. And when you find out that someone does have a condition and you say, oh, but you don't even look sick. These can be hurtful. They can be harmful. They can be triggers for individuals who live with certain conditions. Is our word choice really the first step that we can take to act as allies to those with invisible disabilities? And what are some other ways that we can make sure that we're acting as an ally to individuals who are a part of this community? You know, word choice is critical. And it's not just for people living with invisible disabilities, but people that are living with disabilities, even that folks can see day to day. It was really important for me when I'm explaining what I do, the clients that I serve, I advocate for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, right? But in my advocacy, I represent and I advocate for the people. It just so happens that those are people with intellectual or developmental disabilities. I don't, you know, describe what I do every day as serving autistic adults in, in becoming, you know, uh, living their best life um, because their disability is not what identifies them. They're still a person. And so people first language is really, really important. Um, I think I can kind of identify true advocates just by their word choice and how they describe people. But in, in how we communicate as Americans, you know, the example that you just gave of, oh, she's so crazy, or that person must be off their meds is real. And there's another one. It was like at the tip of my tongue, as you were saying it, nuts. Oh, that's nuts, right? Or that's nutty, or that person is nutty. But mental health is critically important. And mental health is something I think even with everything that we experienced during the pandemic, it really showed the importance of mental health for people who are not living with disabilities, right? Right. So then compound that with you have a chronic illness or you have an intellectual or developmental disability, or maybe a family member does who you're caring for. Now your mental health is tantamount in making sure that you're able to kind of maneuver with the um, service process, the service delivery process, and finding the advocates that you need to get, you know, through to the next goal. You know, you touched on it before when you were talking about how individuals who may have these conditions, that may not be how they want to generally identify. But we know that employers are required to provide accommodations to people with disabilities in the workplace, but those with invisible disabilities, they would have to then disclose or identify that they've got these conditions in order to get those accommodations from their employer. So for instance, an employee is diagnosed with cancer and they're going to need some time off to undergo treatment, but they don't necessarily want everyone at their workplace to know about their condition. You got so it. Knowing that some people with hidden disabilities prefer not to talk about their needs or their condition, 
What advice do you give to employees, um, those who may have these particular illnesses or conditions who need an accommodation, but do not wish to disclose their personal information? How do you navigate that? Well, I think I'd actually flip it, Lloyd. I would say, first, what do we say to employers? Because for an employee to feel comfortable to disclose their personal confidential health information, right, to the person or the company that they feel is paramount to their livelihood. If I lose this job, I may not be able to do fill in the blank. Or so, have the health care that I need for this condition I have. Exactly. So the first step is really what I would say to the employer, which is creating a safe space having not just a designated person, but designated people who an employee would be able to go to to share whatever their concerns are um, and whatever their needs may be and know that that information will not go beyond those walls, right? Um, so that's, that's step one. But then for the employee, my advice would be to find the administrative staff person, right? And for your company, you pick that person. I'm sure for Buchanan, Lloyd, that's you, right? But to come in and say, I am dealing with blah, blah, blah. I don't necessarily want to talk about it or go into great detail, but just know that I'm fine and I'll be even better if, and fill in the blanks on what that if may be. Um, because yes, employers do have to have reasonable accommodations. And I think that while there are abuses to every system, this is not really one of them. I don't think I ever told you this, Lloyd, and, and doing this on a podcast is really interesting, right? But I had this myself. I have two children and my kids are my, what I'll call miracle babies, thanks to my doctor, right? I needed some pretty significant help with having my children. And I found out throughout that process that I had some health conditions I did not know about. And as a lawyer, I'm like, oh crap, I'm on the partnership track. My hours are going to suck this, <laughs> this right. year. You know, what am I going to do? I got to go to the doctor six o'clock every morning. I don't even go to sleep till 2 a.m. Like, how am I going to kind of get through this? And I managed, but it, at one point I needed a pretty significant surgery. And I didn't want, because it's reproductive things. And, you know, I grew up in the law at a time when we were told when we graduated law school, that if we were engaged to take off our engagement rings in the interview, right? Like that was the time period. So the last thing I wanted to do was tell this big fancy job <laughs> that I was prepping for a maternity leave. Right. Now they were a, a fabulous company that did not give me any trouble, but that was my own concern. Yeah. I went in with one of my you know, firm mentors and with our chief operating officer. And I sat down and I was like, listen, I'm going to be out for a couple of days. I need a procedure. I don't want to talk about it. I'm fine. I don't want anybody on my team to know that I'm having surgery. This is what I need. And they said, no problem. When you're out, I'll take care of it. You know, and it was done. It was done. It wasn't a question of where is she and oh, her hours went down this week and what happened. I had, you know, multiple people at the time who I could go to to say, this is what's going on. This is what I need from the firm. And this is what I don't need. I don't need to talk about it. 
right, right. <laughs> you know, and it was done. It was done. And so having a supportive firm environment, a supportive, um, you know, corporate environment, wherever the person works is really the key to this. And that safe space. I think that's key. Understanding that you have an environment where you can open up as little or as much as you want. You hinted at this before, but crazy times we're living in and this pandemic, it has implicated a lot of issues around hidden medical issues. You just think about it. I mean, of course, the one that I can think of, I guess, instantly is COVID and being asymptomatic and having contracted the virus. So we're learning about what employers can and cannot ask employees about whether they have the virus, whether they've had the virus, whether you've gotten the vaccine, are you planning to get the vaccine? We, you just talked about empowering uh, the employee as to what they want to bring to their employer, but what can the employer actually ask their potential or their current employees about their disabilities or medical conditions in an effort to provide reasonable accommodations? So again, well-intentioned, and they want to make sure they're providing uh, the accommodations that are needed, but they want to make sure they don't go afoul of what is legal and what's not. Which is a, that's a fine line, <laughs> Lloyd. It's a I'm fine sure. line. And I think we're going to see this compound with the whole vaccine issue anyway, right? Because there is no requirement that your employee release their confidential health information to you. But at the same time, with this invisible disabilities and just being accommodating as an employer, you can't accommodate something you don't know about, whether it be in anonymous questionnaire format, whether it be in, you know, kind of scaled down to department level of, you know, maybe it's the department heads. The department heads may know more than the firm does or that the company does as it relates to the people. Again, because they've created that safe space. Correct. Correct. And so just simply asking the question, what can we do to support you? You know, one of the things that I've learned, my law firm is run by an employment lawyer, right? At his core, he's an employment lawyer. And so it has allowed me to kind of think about things in ways that I never did before, just, you know, managing people's money and and qualifying folks for government benefits. And one of those things is when your team feels supported and feels that you are listening, they're more likely to share some of those more difficult conversations in order to be the most productive employee possible. We would prefer to have a stellar employee go part-time than to say, hey, I need to take a leave of absence or I need to, to leave this job because medically I can't do it. We'd rather you have one toe in the door right? Even though you may not be able to produce the way that you were when you were not ill, but we'd rather have one toe, (laughs) your, your baby toe still in the firm, because when that condition goes away, you're never going to forget that your, that your company was supportive of you. You're never going to forget that even though you weren't there every day, someone, whether that be a team member or an admin person, checked in on you to make sure that you were doing all right or had what you needed. And that's what helps to produce a very happy employee, you know, long-term. We can't help what you don't tell us, you know, and and employees are going to have to remember that. 
And you can't say like, oh, you believe my firm, my, my company did blah, 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 or didn't do blah, blah, blah. Well, the first question is going to be, did you tell them you couldn't do it? You know, for the person who suffers from, you know, chronic fatigue and their whole team is like, what do you mean you're not coming to the company picnic next week? This is the big company. We do one big thing. You can't no show. Well, you can't be in your feelings that your friends are asking you to show up to a picnic if you never told them that health-wise, you really, you know, you can't do it. Right. And so conversations just, communication is key. But I will tell you that when you were illustrating the employee who is keeping, you know, one foot in the door, one toe in the door, simply because of the level of engagement they have. What you described is inclusion. And that's what we're all striving for in our workspaces is to really create this environment where someone really feels valued. They feel like they belong. They feel like people care and they think they understand and know that everyone is rooting for their success. And so you're right. Creating that kind of environment is where you're going to be able to keep your employees long-term. Can we stop though there? So we have an employee who says, you know what? I do have this condition. It's an invisible disability, but this is something that I have. It's a condition that I'm living with. Do they need to produce anything to, to support that, to prove that? Or is it simply that I come and I disclose and that should be sufficient? I think it depends on the conversation. Some things you may hear about and immediately it explains it all, right? So you know, let's use the young employee example. Young employee has stellar academic records, is excellent at their work product, but all of a sudden something's a little off. They're worked up, you know, they seem really overwhelmed, but the numbers don't support it. Or they seem like, you know, the world is kind of coming to an end and, and, and you're just you're like, Whoa, what's happening, right? So what do you do? First steps would be having a conversation. All right. Yep. Person says, no, everything is good. You know, just, I was a little worried. I thought things were going to go awry in that case. And I was, I, I was really concerned. Nope. You don't have to worry that case. You're doing great. And sometimes the client is crazy. So see, you see that client is crazy Heard that word choice we were just talking about, but that's the conversation, right? And you're like, yep, nope, it's it's not you. It's it's the it's the client. Everything's fine. And you move on and still things aren't really registering. And then you sit down and you're like, hey, what's what's going on? Because you seem really overwhelmed at the moment. And and how can we help you? How can we support you? And then person says, you know what? Glad we had this conversation. I didn't mention this before, but I thought you should know I have an anxiety disorder. There are things that just, I have triggers. I'm still trying to learn what those triggers are, but, you know, I suffer from pretty severe anxiety. And you're like, bet that makes sense, right? I get that. I understand that. Now, how can we support you? How can we support you? And you wouldn't need a piece of paper to, to prove that, right? Because that's not an ask that involves money or resources. That's just an ask that involves Compassion, understanding, and a little bit of time, right? Yeah, emotional so, intelligence. It's emotional intelligence, which you would be surprised <laughs> how many people lack. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> but, <laughs> but when it comes to your leaders, your team leaders, your administrative staff, 
they have to have the emotional intelligence of, you know, more than a toddler in order to help kind of focus the team and focus the group. And so for that person, no, proofs are not necessary. I don't need them to send, you know, any type of history and physical report from their primary care physician on that. The only thing that I'm going to do is say, look, when you're having these periods where you're feeling a little, you know, uncomfortable, let me know, give me a heads up and we can, we can pivot, we can adjust. Because if the person has stellar work and the person is willing to assist you in assisting them, it's an easier conversation and it's not, it doesn't feel like work to get through. Mm. However, if you have an employee who has, or if you're an employee that has a silent disability, a silent condition, an illness and anything, and you don't share what's going on, the people around you could potentially think that you, your work just sucks, yeah. right? Your response time isn't good. You're fill in the blank on, on what the issues may be when in fact there could be something else going on that is the cause of some of those concerns that the firm, the company could support you in, you know? So having an open dialogue is just, is key. What do they say? Reading is fundamental. Reading is fundamental and communication is key. <laughs> couldn't have said that better. Listen, research supports that though, right? And it also shows that hiding your disability or not disclosing, I don't want to characterize it as hiding, but not disclosing your disability in social or work environments that can really affect your mental health. So you're already dealing with condition A. And now the fact that you can't disclose that we're navigating the company picnic invitation or the standing desk. And that is starting to affect your mental health and your well-being. I know you talked about earlier, we should create safe spaces, but is it a best practice for companies to have social support groups for individuals who may have similar disabilities or experiences? I know we have affinity groups and employee resource groups, you know, in corporations. Is that a best practice? Or again, is this something that you found in your work that you shy away from? Because again, that's kind of maybe counter to what it is that the employee may want. The latter, Lloyd. I have found that when it comes to the issues of disclosure and disclosing very personal information, there are only a handful of people within a company who employees feel comfortable going to, right? And for each different employee, those handful of people may be completely different people. Yeah. And so I think that the benefit of the firm resource groups and the affinity groups is so that like people can come together. But because disability status is a part of diversity and inclusion, I know at your law firm there is, I know at my law firm there is, and I hope that for other companies out there, this same comment exists, where having that you know, umbrella kind of um, support group, if you will, that comes together to have conversations, difficult ones, some are more difficult than others, is helpful in people feeling confident uh, and comfortable with sharing the information. And the, the key here is they don't have to share all of the dirty details, right? They don't have to get into the meat and potatoes of, you know, what their treatment regimen is and what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis. All they really have to do is provide a general awareness 
And to the extent that there is something that people don't understand, I think about health conditions the same way I think about racial bias, right? As an African-American woman, I'm probably not going to train you on what systemic racism is and looks like. I don't have the capacity for it at the moment. However, if you would like for me to share what my experience has been like, and in that help you, you know, get a little bit of information about it, happy to do that. Same thing with respect to a health condition. Oh, I have alpha thalassemia trait. Listen, that is something that's like not a big deal, but it sounds like it's fancy, right? I've got alpha thalassemia trait. And you're like, oh, what does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, I have inherited anemia. And so occasionally I can be very fatigued and really tired. That's pretty much all I need to say. Don't need to train, you know, my boss on, or I don't really like the word boss. I don't need to train my team members on well, that really means that there's a deformity of my blood cells coming from the book. You don't have to go into all of those details. The key in that discussion is sometimes I could be really fatigued. Sometimes I could be really tired, you know, and that's it. And so having a day where there's a potentially a flare may make more sense to that person that I'm working with, as opposed to if they didn't have that information and just thought, oh yeah, I'm all of a sudden, you know, not able to sit and have a two hour meeting at three o'clock in the afternoon. What's going on with her? Well, there may be something else behind the curtain. Living with an invisible disability, it presents some challenges on its own. We talked about many of those uh, today, but as employers and as a community, we should do our best to act as allies and to support those who may be dealing with these conditions. There are more people than you know who may be affected in the ways we discussed today, but hopefully we've shed some light on how we can combat our learned ableism in our workplaces and in our communities. Crystal, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me.